Hey guys, welcome to Calvary Chapel, Miami. Um, I am not Pastor Zach, my name is George, uh, but Pastor Zach sends his love. He texted earlier this morning that he's praying for today's services and misses you guys. Uh, there's about 60 plus leaders and young adults in uh, the wilderness ministry um, getting to hear from the Lord, uh, get away, and uh, just receive from him. You could be praying for them. Um, I believe it's 34 degrees over there. At least it was 34 degrees last night. And uh, some of them were camping out. So uh, <laughs> not my cup of tea. Um, but hey, I welcome you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. As you turn to Genesis chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hands and the ushers will get one to you. Truly an interesting portion of scripture, especially um, the first four verses as we'll go through um, this portion of scripture. Um, I was last night at a family member's house and they asked me, oh, you're teaching tomorrow. What is it that you're going through? I said, Genesis 6. And they said, for real? See, yeah, we're going through Genesis 6. Not because uh, Pastor Zach asked me to share from there, but he said, yeah, whatever the Lord will put on your heart. And really there's... A handful of verses there that I want us to key in on and to touch upon. Uh, but here at Calvary Miami, we love to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I thought we would go through the entire uh, chapter. That being said, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we come before you. We're thankful again for this morning. Thankful for this time where we get to uh, spend in your word. We pray, God, that as we open up your word, that you would open up our understanding. God, thank you that your word is for today. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and that, uh, Lord, you want to do something special in and through the next couple of minutes together. So, Father, we welcome you in this place. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we'll start off there in Genesis 6 by reading uh, through the first eight verses. And once we've read through the first eight verses, we'll go back and we'll begin to dig a little deeper into this portion of scripture. It says there in verse one that now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4 says, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We read through those first eight verses and you're like, Georgia, it's cold outside. I woke up for, for this. You sure this is what we're going to go through? And it, it, it is, right? And there in, in verse 1, we see that it says that men began to multiply on the face of the earth. So during these days, there was rapid population um, expansion or there was an explosion of, of people not quite literally people exploding, but you get, you get what I'm saying, right? 
So the idea was that uh, there was long lifespan because of the fact that it was pre-flood world and um, just a ton of people there. It says in verse 2 that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And some believe that the sons of God were those from the line of Seth and that the daughters of men, that they were from the line of Cain and that this describes an intermarriage between the ungodly and the godly. So some people believe that this is what we have here and they'll take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And that portion of scripture, if you're taking notes, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? I share this with the youth often. And if you're dating someone here and you're looking to potentially marry them, that's why you should be dating someone, right? Um, this portion of scripture, it, it says that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And those that are of the camp where they believe that the sons of God were those of the line of Seth and that the daughters of men were those of the line of Cain, they look at this and they think that it describes intermarriage between God, God's people, and those that are ungodly. But really, many scholars believe that when we look at this portion of Scripture, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that those sons of God were either demons or angels in rebellion against God, or uniquely demon-possessed men, and that the daughters of men were simply human women. Think of that, and you're like, Again, this is why you, what are, we, what are we doing here this morning, George? And too many people focus in on this. And it takes them down rabbit trails. It takes them down different areas. And when we allow ourselves to fall into that, we miss so much of what's here. We miss of so much of what God wants to do even in verse Three. In verse 3, it says the following. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. In studying for this morning, um, I oftentimes like to listen to other pastors teach through this same portion of Scripture. Uh, some of the pastors that I'll oftentimes go through are Pastor Joe Foch and Chuck Smith's teachings and uh, Pastor Zach. I'll, I'll listen to the teachings that, um, that he's taught on through this portion of Scripture, through other portions of Scripture and that we have there in our archives. And as, as I was doing that, I noticed that Chuck Smith had a teaching just on verse 3. Imagine that. He had a teaching just on this one verse. And if we're not careful, we get so focused in on verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, right? What does it say there in verse 4? There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. You see, these, these giants were unusual in size. It was really something quite incredible. But here specifically, the interesting part of these giants is that they were of demonic elements in their parentage. They were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Jude 6 tells us and makes it clear what God did with these wicked angels. It says that they are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, for the judgment of the great day, for not having kept their proper place. Um, it says that their sinful pursuit of freedom put them in this bondage. We keep reading in, in, in Jude, and we could really deduce why Satan 
sent his angels to intermarry with human women and why this portion of scripture is here. And it's because Satan tried to pollute the genetic pool of mankind to make the human race unfit for bringing forth a Messiah. And David Guzik, he had the following to say about this. He said, Satan almost succeeded. The race was so polluted that God found it necessary to start again with Noah and his sons to imprison the demons that did this so that they could never do this again. Boys had this to say, the Savior could not be born of a demon-possessed mother. So if Satan could succeed in infecting the entire race, the deliverer could not come. So again, a really interesting portion of Scripture, an interesting portion of, of verses here. And if we're not careful, we'll just focus in on this, right? If we're not careful, we'll begin to argue who these giants are. We'll begin to go off of these trails, right? And we'll miss that verse 3. We'll miss what Pastor Chuck Smith taught an entire sermon on. And again, we'll reread that verse 3, and I want us to focus in a little bit on it. And it says that the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. That at some point or another, we know that God is patient and God is long-suffering with us. But at one point or another, God will not woo us anymore. That there's a point where he says no more. And Pastor Chuck, he had this to say in regards to this verse. How does God's spirit strive with man, you may ask yourself today? Well, the first thing that he does is he seeks to reason with us about sin. And you begin to think of your first days with the Lord, right? When God began to captivate you and began to show you that you're a sinner in need of saving. And you realize that you fall short. And he reveals to us the areas that we're falling short in. Maybe the sin that doesn't honor him. And this is where the strife begins, right? And we begin to say, no, no, that's not me. We begin to defend our actions, to flat out deny our guilt. And it's that striving, right, that back and forth with God. Pastor Chuck Smith, he points out that Jesus is our sin bearer and that one of the ways that God's spirit strives with man is by showing us this. And again, we, we battle with him. We say, we don't need Jesus at one point or another, before you get saved, you push him away, right? That might be part of your testimony, that maybe you had been coming to church for a long time, and you would continue to push away the thought of needing Jesus or the thought of fully accepting him. Maybe your intentions were good, right? Maybe your intentions were, I'm going to do this, or you would promise yourself this, that you would change this instead. And you didn't realize that in order to make those changes, you needed Jesus. You'd say, I don't need him. I could do this in my own strength. You see, one of the ways that God's spirit strives with us is through people. The Lord will put friends, family members in our way that have a relationship with God. Maybe a family member has invited you here this morning. Maybe you're listening through, um, through Facebook Live or through one of our, our, our videos online, and you're listening because someone invited you. And God will do that. He'll use different people to get our attention. He strives with us. He, 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 he wants to, to woo us in. But you see, it's a spiritual battle, right? We know this, that we go back and forth with him before God willing, we give in. We know that in this time that the Lord was using Noah to speak to his generation. And oftentimes, the Lord will use whoever's up on, on the platform. 
not because they're that great or special, but they'll use whoever's up here. They'll use a donkey such as myself. And God may use a pastor to speak to you, and for a long time, maybe you've pushed it away. But may today be the day of salvation if you've never accepted him. May today be the day of rededication if you've slipped away and walked away from him. You see, Pastor Chuck Smith says that at times God uses tragedy to speak to us. It's one of the ways that he will strive with us. The idea that maybe sickness has fallen upon your family or upon yourself. Maybe financial failure. Some type of a defeat or a death in the family. And you're struggling. You're having a hard time. You're wondering where is God and tragedy, it'll do one of two things. It could push us to continue to strive against him. It grow bitter, grow hard towards the Lord. But man, we can surrender to him as a result of it. I know that's part of my testimony. My father passed away when I was young. And the Lord used that. The Lord used that brokenness to show me that I was missing my earthly father, but that I had a heavenly father. And God, he'll use those difficult situations. And if you're going through one, he wants to use that difficult situation in your life. You see, God uses tragedy to speak to us. It's one of the ways that he'll strive with us. But does God strive with man forever? The answer is no. His heart is that none shall perish. We know this, right? He came to seek. He came to save. God strives with you. He has you in these blue chairs this morning because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he's reaching out to you personally. You're here for a reason. You're here this morning for a reason. He's calling you back. It says, my spirit will not always strive with man. It's possible to exhaust God's patience. Although he is patient, although he's long-suffering, if the message today cuts you to the heart, if going through this portion of Scripture gets your attention, respond to it. Respond to God's love towards you. This gives us more the reason to say today is the day where things change. This is the beginning of 2023. 2023 is going to be a year where I follow hard after him a year where things change, where I begin to go back to church. Whatever it may be that, that as the Lord would show you, that you would obey and follow. We go back there to Genesis chapter 6, and we see in verse 5 that it says the following. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at verses 37 through verses 39. Hopefully you're there or getting close to Getting there to Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 through 39. And it says there in verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, Jesus is coming back for his church. He can come back at any time. Our time here is short. And the conditions of today's world are so similar to the conditions that we saw in Noah's time. I wanted to illustrate this by going through some of the local news. I don't typically listen to the news. I'd much rather spend time in God's word and 
allow that to minister to me. But for the sake of an illustration, I, I went online and I started clicking on some articles. And I'll read you the title of those articles, okay? And some of these, they're strong in nature. But I pray that it would paint a, a picture of the world that we're living in, of what it is that we're going through nowadays. The first article says, police are investigating after a man fatally stabbed his wife Saturday in northwest Miami-Dade, according to police. It says, police are investigating in the second article the deaths of two homeless people who were shot and killed within a day of each other in Miami-Dade County. A third article says, man accused of sexually assaulting teen girl at Kendall Ice Arena. All within the past week. The last article said the following. With Florida ranking number three in human trafficking cases by the National Human Trafficking Hotline and Miami-Dade having the most cases reported in the state, local authorities are focusing their efforts on addressing the crisis. I look at these four things, they're tough to hear, but they're the reality of the day and age that we're living in. They're the reality of the darkness outside of these walls. They're the reality of the world that we're living in. And guys, Jesus is coming back for his church soon. And we look at these things, we look at the darkness, a man fatally stabbing his wife, the shooting of two homeless men, a man accused of sexually assaulting someone. We think of human trafficking. And I pray that it would break your heart. I pray that it would truly just break your heart the way that it breaks God's heart. It says there in verse 5 that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's who we were outside of the Lord. That's who people are when they're not walking with God. We live in a dark world so similar in nature to the world in the day and age of Noah. It says in verse 6 that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7 says, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. See, this, this didn't catch God by surprise. Those news articles, those, those titles that we read, those things didn't catch God by surprise, the things that were happening the day of age of Noah, they didn't catch him by surprise, but yet our text still clearly shows us that it still affected God. It broke his heart. And guys, we get asked the question here today, does these things, do these things cause our heart to break? It says that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. The idea here is of a deep sigh. He was grieved in his heart. Joe Foch says it cut him to the heart. And there's a lot here, right? We've just gone through the, the first seven verses. One of the verses that I wanted to touch upon was verse 8. Because verse 8, verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That word grace is to find favor. Favor in the eyes of the Lord. I love that it says that Noah found grace. You see, grace is available to all of us that we might get to know God. It's available to us, but we don't earn it, right? Faith the grace and favor, it is found, and Noah found it in the eyes of the Lord. Ephesians 
1, verse 7, it says the following. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of what? Of his grace. You see, the shedding of blood of Jesus provides forgiveness for our sins. It's all part of the riches of the grace of God. Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That was me. That is is us, believers. That's us. We were once far off but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'll oftentimes tell you guys that um, I I oversee uh, Lighthouse Ministry, the school that we have here at Calvary, Miami. And I tell you guys that so that you would pray, so you would pray for us, so you would pray for the students that come here. But in thinking of Lighthouse and thinking of this past Friday, we had something called a spirit Friday, and it's kind of like having a spirit week where we come and we dress up, right? And this Friday was dress up 10 years in the past or 10 years forward, 10 years in the future. And it was, it was cool to see the students and the different things that they came up with, right? I decided to, to dress 10 years in the past, right? And some of the students were telling me, well, you dress like that now. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, okay. But as I started to think of 10 years in the past, I began to think of what the Lord has done. I began to think of his faithfulness, began to think of the things that he's brought me through, what he's brought my family through. And quickly, 10 years in the past turned into 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and so forth and so on. As I decided to go on social media and see old photos of Some of the same people that I'm still serving alongside of. I found an old photo of me and Pastor Zach at the top of one of the mountains in Headwaters, Virginia. Me as a teenager, as as one of the, the youth at the time, and him as one of the leaders. And it brought back amazing memories of what God has done. But it brought me all the way back to February 29, 2004. You say to yourself, why that specific day? See, that's the day, leap day, 2004, almost 19 years ago, that I gave my life to the Lord. And I pray that as we think of our past in the Lord, that the Lord would take us back to that day when he saved us. Maybe some of us have that written in our Bibles or we have a Bible at home where we wrote that in the front. I know that, that I have that and that I hold on to it and that I cherish that Bible. It's falling apart, but every once in a while, I'll grab it and I'll read through it. And it's special to me because it reminds me of what God was doing in that season. And we should see growth throughout our lives. We should see God's faithfulness throughout it all. And if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted God, maybe today is the day of salvation. The Lord saw it fit that you would come today maybe so that you would rededicate your life to him. And if today is that day, write it at the front of your Bible. Hold on to it. Know that day and make sure that from here on out that you continue to walk with him. As I thought of February 29, 2004, I I, I, I clicked on that day and one of the things that I looked up was how many days ago was that? 6,984 days ago, I gave my life to the Lord. And God has done so much in almost 7,000 days. I'm so thankful to him. I now have a wife and a little one and another little one to come. You can pray for my wife. She's due at the end of this month. We're expecting baby joy. And God is, is good But in God being good, that doesn't mean that we don't go through struggles, that we don't go through difficulties. In thinking of the past years, I thought of when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I thought of that difficulty and so many other things that God sees us through. 
But like we mentioned when we looked at verse 3 and what Pastor Chuck mentioned in his teaching was that God uses those things to bring us closer to him. And if you're going through a difficulty today, I pray that the Lord would use it to bring him closer to you, that you would be able to look back upon this season and to say, it was tough, but the Lord used it and I grew. Verse 9, we see that Noah pleases God. And it says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You see, it says there that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. It's not so much the idea that Noah was perfect because we know that he messes up later on, right? We know that he was a sinner. But the description here of Noah is one that refers to the righteousness of his life in this season. And it also can suggest the uncorrupted nature of his genetic pool um, in this time. And the fact that the Lord was going to use him and his family. Pastor David Guzik said Noah was pure in his genetic profile. So no, Noah didn't live a perfect life. Um, we know that his character was that of a righteous one. Spurgeon pointed out that we can know that Noah had the righteousness that is of faith because as soon as the floodwaters had dried up, what did he do? He left the ark and offered God sacrifices in Genesis 8. Verse 11 there of Genesis 6, it says that the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You see, when God says this to Noah, God tells him with the intention that he's going to save Noah and his family. In the midst of such corruption, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of such violence, there was grace. And guys, in the midst of the craziness that we live in today, in the midst of the things that we read through have happened just in our backyard this week, there is grace. And you know how I know that? Because I'm standing here and you guys are sitting in those chairs. And God, he is, he's here, he's present. He loves you, he cares for you, he has a plan for you. And he has you here for a reason. His grace, it's for us here today if we would accept it. See, God, instead of wiping out the entire race, God chose to preserve a remnant. Verse 14, it says, make yourself an ark, go for wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Verse 15 says, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. I love these set of verses, especially since I just recently built an armoire from Ikea. What do I mean by that? These instructions are clear. It, it, it's, it's there. He's telling Noah, hey, this is what you are to do. This is how you are to build it. Pastor David Guzik, he goes into a little more detail 
about what this ark looked like in terms of size. He says that the ark was as long as a 30-story building is high. Think about that. 30 stories, as high as that is, is as long as this ark was, about 450 feet. And it was about 75 feet wide. It says that it was about 45 feet high. Really an impressive boat, but not not only a boat, it was really almost like a barge. It was meant to merely float and not to sail anywhere since what he was dealing with was a flood. It's interesting to note that it wasn't until 1858 that man would engineer another boat larger than the ark. Took all the way up to 1858. And this portion of scripture is one that maybe people doubt. Maybe people will say that's a kid's story. There's no way that that, that happens. And those people, right, you encourage them to think of who God is and if they truly believe that God is God, then this is not that great when you think of it. But you can sort of reason with them, right? If you choose to go that route, you don't have to. But the average size of a land animal is smaller than a sheep. Smaller than a sheep. The ark could carry approximately 136,000 plus sheep in only half of its capacity. I didn't calculate that. That wasn't me. That was Pastor David Guzik. If you ever meet him, you could ask him how he calculated that. But it kind of gives us an idea of how large this ark was, of how this would make sense. And to me, it's enough to know that God was the one that led Noah to do this. To me, that's enough. I'm good with that. I'm good with trusting God and saying, yes, this happens. But some people need a little more of an explanation. And if you think of 136,000 plus sheep and only half of that ark, that would leave the other half room for the people, for the food, the water, whatever other provisions were needed. It really begins to make sense. Notice that in those set of verses, God says that you shall make it. Speaking of Noah. Noah, you shall make it. And I don't know about you, but I would have questions. Especially since it hadn't rained, right? Like, God, you want me to do what? You're calling me to do what, God? And at times, God will call us to do things that almost don't make sense to the world. You see, I got to think that Noah was being made fun of by the people in the area, that people would maybe come by the ark as he would build it year after year. Would say, no rain, Noah! Year after year after year for 120 years. And you got to think he had questions, and up to this point in Scripture, we'll see uh, that God tells him, you shall make it, but had not yet told Noah why he must build the ark. But in Genesis 6, there in this portion of Scripture, in verses 17 through 21, we get the why the ark must be built and what Noah must do. So we see in verse 17 that it says, and behold... I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18 says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, 
of the birds after their kinds, of the animals after their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kinds. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Verse 21 says, And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So we look at verse 18, and there in verse 18, we can take note that it says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark alone. Is that what it says? No. It says that you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wives, with you. And the idea that we could take from this verse is that oftentimes the Lord will do something special in and through you, will call you to be faithful in something that is difficult, right? Maybe you just recently got saved, and every time that you go back home, your family, your family, maybe your parents, maybe your brother or your sister, they give you a hard time. Because now you're spending Sundays at church and Wednesdays and whenever there's a gathering and you're spending this time at church and maybe they're giving you a hard time. But God has called you to remain faithful throughout the years, has called you to remain faithful throughout the days. And it says here that it was not only Noah in verse 18, but that it was also his family that entered the ark and that was saved. I love that. It encourages me when things are difficult. It encourages me when a family member denies an invitation to come to church or when encouraging someone of the things of the Lord and they flat out deny you. I look at this portion of scripture and I say, I need to stay the course. I need to continue to do what it is that I've been doing for maybe so long. Me for 19 years, maybe you've been walking with the Lord 30 or 40 or 50 years, and maybe you've grown weary in doing good. Continue to do good. You have family members, you have friends that are looking at you. They have eyes on you. I love the idea that we may be someone's only Bible that they read. What do I mean by that? That our lives, our testimonies, the way that we talk, the way that we behave, it may be the only picture that someone has of Jesus. And stay the course, stay the course. And hopefully, someday very soon, you'll see that family member, you'll see that prodigal son or daughter walk through those doors and rededicate their lives to the Lord. You'll see that person that you've been praying for for so long come to salvation. You guys could be praying for my cousin Andrex. He's constantly on my heart. I, I pray for him all the time. I'd love to see him saved and walking with the Lord. And likewise, I gotta think that we have family and friends that are always on our heart. And we would love to see them walking with God. Stay the course. Verse 22, it says the following. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. This was an incredible task, right? An incredible task that Noah is given, a task that no one else had ever been given. And at times, God will give us tasks such as this, where we're left in, in questioning. We're left wondering, Lord, are you sure that you've called me to this? This is really where you have me to, to build an, an ark? That God, that, that's what you want me to do over the span of 100 plus years? God, that's what you've called me to do? But it says there in verse 22 that thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. 
See, those words, so he did, they cover an awful lot of material. They cover an awful lot of years. Yet Noah did not shrink. Noah did not give up on his calling. He continued day after day, day after day. And you got to think, again, like we've mentioned, maybe people would pass by the ark and they would mock him. They would give him a hard time. You got to think that he may have been the topic of conversation at drinking parties. That crazy Noah, he's been at it now for 50 plus years and so forth and so on. And you got to think at one point or another, he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, let me see some type of fruit. God, let me see some type of fruit. Let me see someone come to salvation. And at times we do that, right? God, show me some fruit. Lord, just something that has come as a result of my life. God, please. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And in his 120-year ministry, it seems as though no one was saved. 120 plus years of being this preacher of righteousness. And you got to think that at some point or another, he was discouraged. Family, that's, that's natural to feel discouraged. It's natural to get to a point in our walks when we feel like giving up. But you know, you know what has encouraged me? Reading through God's word. Spend time in God's word. You know, as a church, we're going through God's word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and the aim is to be able to read through it in one year. And guys, as you would spend time through God's word, as you would spend time with him, know that he'll encourage you. Know that he'll give you verses to hold on to. He'll give you verses to memorize. The Holy Spirit's incredible. The Holy Spirit will bring to memory things that you've read throughout the week and throughout the year. God will comfort you, will give you a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding in the season that you're in. People will look at you and say, why is he so different? Why is she so different? How are they still joyful? How are they still going through X, Y, Z? And and they smile. How is it that they still have a word for me in this season? How is it that they're still trying to encourage me when I should be the one encouraging them? And God will do that in and through you. We see that Noah never shrunk. He never gave up on what it was that the Lord was doing in this season of his life. And as I welcome the worship team to come on up, I wanted to read a couple of quotes uh, to you. And these quotes are as follows. Too many Christians, after meeting God, do not grow in acquaintanceship with God. This quote says, for some reason, modern Christianity has become far too accepting of this trend, as if it were the norm. God never intended us to meet him in salvation and then be strangers until we stand before him in glory. As that was never God's intention, it was never that we would get saved and that we would just come and visit on Thanksgiving and on Christmas, and here or there sprinkled in. But yet for some reason, modern-day Christianity has become far too accepting of this. We just allow it to be the trend, and it is what it is, right? The other quote said that the marriage relationship is to picture the relationship between Christ and his bride, a man and woman Do not marry and then go through life happily apart for years at a time. You know, that isn't the way that it works, right? 
visiting only frequently enough to come to a vague recognition and catch up on the latest news. Now, it's not, it's not just that. This quote goes on to say, as I welcome the pastors to come up for prayer, that no marriage involves really, really getting to know each other. It's exactly what it involves. To get to know each other as servants serving each other, that we should be filled with the Lord's Spirit abounding in grace, serving one another while coming into intimate knowledge of the Lord. You see, guys, if you could take something from this morning, take the following with you. Know that the Lord will not strive with us forever. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can rededicate your lives to the Lord. God has a, a, a plan for you. It's been said so many times this morning. God saw it fit that you would be sitting in these blue chairs today for a reason. Not because I'm up here, but because he saw it fit that we would be going through this portion of scripture. He wants to get your attention. His grace, his favor, it's for today. It's for you. Accept it. If you're here today, and by the grace of God, you have been saved. Second thing that we could take is continue to grow with him. Continue to grow with him according to all that God has commanded you. Grow with him. Grow with him and whatever it is that he's commanded to you. Whether it would be just to be faithful in parking lot, whether it's to be faithful in cafe or in kids' ministry, wherever God would have you, be faithful to what he has commanded you. Maybe he's commanded you to build an ark. Continue to build that thing, no matter how much people will laugh at you. God has a plan for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that as we were able to go through Genesis 6, that you would have cut at our heart. And Father, as a result of this cutting, that we would respond to it, that we would come up for prayer. God, maybe that today would be that day of salvation. Today would be that day of rededication, that we would be able to write that in the front of our Bibles, hold on to this day. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your presence in this place. We pray for those family members and friends that don't know you. God, those that we have been lifting up for such a long time. God, may our walks this week and the coming months, may they continue to be the light and the salt in the darkness. May we continue to be an example to those that are lost. Lord, we love you. Look to you this week in Jesus' name. Amen.